Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. We continue to look at the lives mentioned in the Hall of Faith, found in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. With the aid of some New Testament reflections, we examine the life of Noah, a biblical character who was asked by God to do some pretty crazy things. What does God have to teach us about obedience and trust through the story of Noah? And what other lessons does the faith of Noah share that can help us to live a life of faithful obedience? We started the Hall of Faith where we've got this son, this king, and this priest, and an opportunity for us to participate in the ministry of the son, the the king, and the priest. We participate in that with the word mixed with faith by doing what God asks us to do. We actually are participating in Christ's high priestly ministry and in his kingship as servant kings in this world. Uh, And in doing so, we are actually fulfilling our destiny as, as people, what God made us to do, to help him rule the earth in perfect harmony with each other and with him. And we looked at last week... And we saw that pleasing God is the ultimate aim of our life. By pleasing God, we are actually fulfilling what He made us to be. And we saw that it's impossible to please God without faith. There's two things we have to do if we want to please God and have faith. Two things we have to believe. What are they? You remember? He believed that He is? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He is who he says he is. He is uh, not a genie, and he's not a vending machine. Uh, He is God. He is our Father. He's our Shepherd. He is our King. He is our Provider. And he makes it worthwhile if we do what he says we should do. So we tend to look at other rewards that are more tangible. He rewards things that are intangible today and will be tangible later and if we believe those rewards are better than whatever the world can offer us then we can please God we said that uh, what we're going to do as we go through here is think of a triangle where we've got God at the top of the pyramid let's say and the other two ends of the triangle are me and other people so we've got me other people God and we're always interacting with this triangle we're always thinking in terms of me. We, we do that all the time. We, we feel our pleasures. Even a small baby thinks about me, uh, feels the hunger pangs or whatever. Uh, and then as we get older, we start uh, being aware that other people are looking at us. And we might even get the maturity to see uh, them looking at things other than us. That's when we become good listeners. But maturity is actually getting to the point where we see what God sees. Not only what we see, what other people see, but what God sees. So let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world 
and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, of course, Noah and everybody in this hall of faith is a positive example. We got plenty of negative examples earlier in, in Hebrews, in particular the wanderers in the wilderness who fell without possessing their possession. God promised the promised land to them. He gave them the path to go possess it, and they failed to do so. Well, here we have Noah, who also did not possess his possession in this life, but uh, did in the, uh, in, the, in the world that was to come, so to speak. So let's look at, let's look at a few things in this verse. He was divinely warned of things not yet seen. What was, what was he warned about that he couldn't see? Noah. The flood coming. A flood was coming. What was the flood going to do? Destroy the earth. Okay, so God comes and says the world's going to end. The end is near. And I want you to do something because of that. Not particularly easy thing to think about. It was far off. And yet, Noah did. Why did he do it? He was moved with godly fear. Yeah. So he said, I, I believe what God's telling me, and I want to do something about that. Most of the time, when we're moved to action, we're moved by fear of uh, the, what other people think of us. It tends to move how we dress, how we act in many respects. And as we're going to see as we go through this, Noah had ample reason to fear what other people thought and ignore what God said. But he didn't. He listened to what God said and moved with godly fear, built an ark. Why did he build an ark? God told him to. Okay. So he, he was moved with godly fear, built an ark. And he built an ark because he wanted to save his household. Because he believed what God told him. In doing so, he condemned the world. This is another one of these martyreo uh, instances we've seen in the early part of Hebrews 11 here, martyreo witness. By having a witness of someone who obeyed, he created accountability for all the people who didn't obey. And he became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. The implication of the passages that we're going to look at this morning would indicate to me that the building of the ark in and of itself was an amazing testimony to others. So let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and let's meet Noah firsthand. Let's start in verse 3. And the Lord said... My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. God has a clock and he started the clock. He's going to give a man 120 years. 
There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were old men of renown. We could spend a lot of time on that verse, but I'm just going to skip over it. (laughs) Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So this is our first introduction to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his ways. This word perfect uh, is sometimes uh, translated complete. It's the same idea as this teleosia. So it's this the the bring a lamb that's perfect or complete, doesn't have a missing leg or something is the basic idea here. He was the complete package during the time he was around. Then he begot three sons. Then uh, Genesis 6, verse 11, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So this was the core problem of the earth. Uh, People are evil, and the only specific thing we're giving that demonstrated the evil uh, actions of people was that the earth was filled with violence. And this was the reason why God wanted to destroy the earth. Um, Going back to the whole idea of Hebrews, to be servant kings and priests, uh, kings and priests in God's uh, um, economy are there to create harmony. Harmony is when the, the body is working together where Everything's doing its part for the great benefit of the body. And instead here we've got conflict. Because rather than serving one another, now we're trying to control one another. And when we can try to control one another, what that leads to is violence, coercion. So the earth's filled with violence and God says, "Um, I don't like that. Verse 12, so God looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt, all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Uh, flip over to 2 Peter 3.5 real quick. There's a couple of collaborating New Testament passages that I think are worth Stopping and looking at very quickly. Second Peter three five. We're talking about people who ask the the question, "Well, when is God going to come?" It's been been a long time since He said He was coming back. Uh, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse five. Well, they willingly forget something. That by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. 
But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition on ungodly men. Uh, There's another judgment coming because the earth is still filled with violence. And it won't be with water this time. It will be with fire. So the warning to Noah is going to be very tangible to us as well as we will see. Let's look also quickly at Matthew 24, 37. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage... Till the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. We also are going to experience the same sort of thing Noah has uh, experienced. And that is a promise. And the question is, will we act on that promise? Will we be filled with godly fear or are we going to pay attention to what other people say? So he tells Noah how to make an ark, tells him to make it about 450 feet long and, um, let's see, the 300 cubits, 50 cubits, which is, yeah, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide. Uh, I've been told that there was not a ship made that large until uh, the middle 1800s. And he says then in verse 17, uh, going back to Genesis 6. Behold, I'm bringing myself floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh which is in the breath of life. Everything on the earth shall die. But I'll establish my covenant with you and you shall go unto the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. Verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Well, let's just think about what Noah went through here. If we had time, um, we would play the Bill Cosby routine about Noah. I think he got it right. Uh, because if you remember that old routine, uh, Cosby does a great job of putting yourself in uh, Noah's place. Uh, when he says, Noah, you know, what, what? I want you to build an ark. What's an ark? <laughs> he has to explain that to him. Why am I going to build an ark? Is it going to rain? What's rain? Well, what the indication is in Genesis, it never rained. It's going to flood. What's a flood? The world was perfect. They didn't have floods at that point. Now, well, it wasn't perfect. It was close to being perfect. Uh, so he's telling him all these things that are just sort of unimaginable. It's not just that it's going to happen again. These are things that were unthinkable at the time. There was no experience to explain any of these things that uh, Noah was being asked to do. 
And by the way, uh, I want you to do this over the period of 100 years. Uh, You know, 100 years is a long time to wait. And 100 years is a long time to just keep on keeping on. It happens to be longer than most of us are going to live. So again, it's a positive example of of how to behave. Well... Let's go to a passage that explains a lot about Noah. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to see Noah used as an example to explain something to us. And in doing so, I think we're going to learn a lot about this application of Noah. First Peter 3, verse 17. For it is better, if it's the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, if we back up just a few verses, look at maybe 13. And who is it? Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And normally, when you do good, people like it. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Often when you do good, you're going to get punished for it. That's just life. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So here we got our triangle again. So here I am, I'm doing something good. Someone who doesn't like it is reviling me for it. Uh, And what I do is say, well, I don't really like being reviled, but I'm going to look at God instead of looking at you reviling me, and I'm going to say, pleasing God's more important to me. And if they come and and then if someone else comes and says, well, this person's reviling you, well, why are you uh, happy about it? Why, Why are you just taking it? then you can say, well, I've got hope in me of God. To my knowledge, this is the only passage in all the epistles that gives an explicit command to actually tell someone about your faith. There's plenty of examples of people doing it. This is the only place where it says to do it. And the interesting thing is, it's in the context of being a martyreo, a witness, just like these Hebrews chapter 11 folks. Because they see our life, they want to come and ask about it. Well, it's better to do the will of God to suffer doing good than to do evil. There's two ways to suffer. One's to suffer because you deserve it. You did evil. And the other is to suffer when you didn't deserve it. And we have an example. For Christ also suffered once for for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So there's your example. I mean, Christ never did anything wrong. And because of his witness, because of his testimony, because of his obedience, we're brought to God. Well, we can do the same thing with others, right? We can do the priestly function as well because we are willing to suffer uh, suffer for doing good. We can bring other people as well. See the example? Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, it says in verse 18. 
put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. How was Jesus put to death in the flesh? He was crucified. How was he made alive in the spirit? He rose again. Okay. What, what particular thing do we do that emphasizes put to death in the flesh, raised? Baptism. Baptism, right? Okay, so here, Jesus was baptized into death and rose in the Spirit, didn't he? And that's what he's about to do. He's going he's to tell us about baptism. And he's going to talk to us about the first baptism, which was Noah. It was a big baptism. <laughs> Being put to death in the flesh, but made in alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, a lot's made of this verse. I, I'm not going to dig into what all people say about it. But in order for this to make sense, it's got to fit into the whole idea of being an example of suffering for doing good rather than doing evil. And I think it will easily. So Jesus, by the Spirit, preached to spirits now in prison. What spirits in prison? Which spirits in prison did he speak to? And when did he do it? Well, the, the, the who is it is answered in the next part of verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient... When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So God's waiting for a hundred years, waiting for people to come to repentance and stop doing violence. These are the people that he went and preached to. Well, did he go to preach to them while they were in prison, or did he preach to them while they were alive on the earth? Well, alive on the earth. Look down at verse 6 in chapter 4. We're still talking about the same people here. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. Why? That they may be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Jesus went in the Spirit, preached to the people of Noah's time, so that they could do the same thing Noah did which was to obey God instead of man. To be judged according to man, made alive in the Spirit. Jesus despised the shame. And for the joy set before Him endured the cross. So He went, he went and preached. Now He doesn't say exactly how He went and preached. I believe the implication is He went and preached through Noah. And the preaching that we know, Noah may have said a lot of stuff. We're not told whether he did or not. What we know Noah did was build an ark. Now, I don't think that building this ark would have been something people would have missed. It was a big project. I can imagine that people in a world full of violence would have mocked Noah. I can imagine that people would have uh, made, made this a running joke. They certainly, we know from Matthew passage that we read, they ignored the implications of it and just kept right on going with their life. 
But Jesus went and preached the gospel to them through Noah. And the gospel is, in its fullest sense, that if we believe God from faith to faith, we will gain righteousness with God. And when we gain righteousness with God, we get all these amazing benefits. And when we don't, we get all these amazing detriments. So, while the ark was being prepared in the days of Noah, which a few, eight souls, were saved through water, verse 21. So there's an antitype, an example, a figure for us to see, which now saves us. So what, what, what saved Noah? The obedience. And the obedience was specifically that he did what? Built an ark. And then got on it. That saved Noah. What did it save it from? Yeah, dying, the flood. Saved him from the consequences of judgment. It didn't save him from hell. I mean, Noah had already found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This isn't a, this is, none of this is heaven and hell stuff. What we're talking about here is consequences of behavior. So there's a figure, baptism, that saves us. Not the removal of filth from the flesh. Not, not the ceremony. Not the fact that we actually go into water. That, that, that's, that's just a ceremony. No, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Uh, perhaps you remember when we were in Hebrews 9 that we can go into the Holy of Holies through the veil that is now the body of Christ and get sprinkling on our heart. Not, not the sprinkling on the mercy seat that just covers sins committed in ignorance, on the Day of Atonement once a year. But any time we have need for cleansing, we can go into the Holy of Holies by faith through Jesus and have our hearts sprinkled so that we can get a clean conscience so we can do good works. When we say we're buried in Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life, the intent of that ceremony is to say, this is our commitment to live this way. To live with the reality that we no longer have to walk in the flood of dissipation of our flesh. Because that's really all we get from the flesh. We can now walk in newness of life. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.